The following is a message by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. We turn today in the Word of God to Psalm 95, which we have just sung. Let us give our attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God and we are the sheep of his pasture, the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their own heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So far the reading of God's word. Uh, This semester on Tuesdays the faculty has been looking at a variety of psalms with you and um, uh, in spite of my tendency to ignore the psalms I thought I would continue that uh, uh, practice today and uh, turn to a psalm that I think in a remarkable way uh, will draw together the work that you have been doing this semester. Uh, it draws together the work that we do every semester. It's a psalm that in a most succinct and affecting way pulls together the themes of biblical revelation and helps us more profoundly understand our covenant relationship with our God. It is a very familiar psalm in some ways. It's a psalm, the first part of which is often used as a call to worship in churches. It's a surprising psalm in another way because although it starts so positively and joyfully, it takes a turn, a dramatic turn in the middle to a very severe warning. Uh, It is a psalm that is important, um, so important to the life of the church that in the letter to Hebrews we find chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews really a prolonged meditation, reflection, and application of Psalm 95. This is a remarkable psalm and uh, well worth our attention as we think about how it pulls together really our understanding of scripture, our understanding of God's covenant and of God's ways with us. And how does it do that? Well, it does it first of all by reminding us who we are, reminding us who we are at the most essential level. And it does that in the central verse of this psalm. As you know, uh, very often, uh, Hebrew poetry, the, the heart of the matter, the, 
the essence of the matter is in the center of the psalm. And I think that's true in this psalm where we are reminded, for he, that is the Lord, is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Uh, This is the most essential thing to be known about us, that we have a God. And this psalm talks about the character of that God. But we have a God in with whom we have a relationship, and that relationship is the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. We are the people of his pasture. We are the sheep of his hand. And and this is a picture of God's care, of God's provision, of God's love for his people. And so right at the beginning, uh, we always need to be reminded of who we are at the most essential level. There are constant voices in our culture speaking to tell us who we are. Uh, But at the center of who we are is this very simple but profound confession that we are the people of God. And as the people of God, he cares for us. He watches over us. He has established a relationship with us And he expects us in that relationship to live it out. And that's the second thing that we see in this psalm. That as the people who are the sheep of his hand, we are to be a worshiping people. We are to be a people filled with joy and anticipation in being able to approach this God with praise and with thanksgiving for who he is. And the first part of this psalm does elaborate then. What is the character of our God? Who who is our God? This one who has promised to be our shepherd. How will he carry that out? What has he done for us? What is the, the character of God that needs to be celebrated by us in worship? And not surprisingly, this very brief psalm talks about that character of God as creator and as redeemer. Um, The creation is celebrated in this psalm to remind us that the God whom we are called upon to worship, the God who is in covenant with us, is the God who has the power to accomplish all things that he has promised. The God who brought this world into existence, the God who raised up mountains and cast down valleys, the God who ruled over the sea and made the dry land, that God can take care of you and me. That's what is celebrated here. There is no limit to his power. And that's why in verse 3 he is defined as the one who is the God above all gods, the king above all kings. There is no power beyond his power. There is no authority beyond his authority. And I think that's important for us to come back to um, as a reformed community because we can sometimes begin to feel that we are such a small community. And uh, that may make us feel either that God somehow isn't thinking about us as much as we think he ought, or that maybe God is not quite as in charge We're too pious and well-educated to say that, but we might begin to feel that maybe God is not really as in charge as he makes out to be. 
we had a seminary graduate speak in our adult Sunday school at church last Sunday, Bill Green. And uh, he uh, has been laboring for the gospel in Costa Rica for some 25 years. And he had some slides about the churches they've planted and the school they've started. And it was very encouraging. And I went up to him afterwards and I said, uh, it's great to hear from an honest missionary. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you're an honest missionary. You showed pictures that showed that the churches you've planted have grown from maybe five to maybe 50. A lot of missionaries would prefer to leave the impression that the church had grown to hundreds or thousands of people. And it would be lovely if that were true. Um, But are the hundred people that have been gathered there unimportant? Uh, Is the Lord accomplishing his purpose? Is the God who made Costa Rica gathering his elect according to his goodwill in Costa Rica? Can we have that assurance? That's what this psalm is celebrating. Our God is the great God over all things, and what he accomplishes according to the pleasure of his will is what he delights in and what we should delight in. And nothing hinders his power. And he's not only the great creator God, but he's the great redeemer God. He is the rock of our salvation. And since this psalm goes on to uh, talk about the events in Israel's history at Rephidim, which came to be known as Meribah and Massa in Exodus 17, that statement that God is the rock of our salvation is full of significance. Because you remember in Exodus 17, the people were complaining that they didn't have enough water and Moses struck the rock and from the rock flowed forth water. God showed himself at Massa and Meribah to be the rock of salvation in the most literal sense. But he shows that to point us to the spiritual salvation that he provides for his people as Paul well understood, as you remember, in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says, who was that rock? And says, that rock was Christ, who followed his people as the Savior, provided for his people, from whose belly flowed forth the waters of salvation. That Christ is the God of salvation who is celebrated in this psalm as the rock of salvation and as the good shepherd. So here is cause for celebration, isn't it? Come into his courts with thanksgiving and into his gates with praise. Here here is a great God to be celebrated as creator and as redeemer of his people and as the one who has promised in his covenant that he will care for us. And the picture of worship here is impressive. It, It balances those themes we find throughout scripture on worship, namely joy, and reverence. We are to be joyful in the presence of God and we are also to be reverent. Verse 6, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Uh, This is something the Reformed tradition has wrestled with, hasn't it? Uh, First couple of verses uh, of this psalm describe a certain part of the Reformed community at worship and Verse 6 describes another part of the Reformed community at worship. 
And uh, we have to try to bring these things together because true biblical worship is always characterized by great joy in, in the provision of God of salvation for his people, but also great reverence and acknowledgement of who this God is in all of his glory and power. And so we are called to, to worship this God because we are his covenant people. So the psalm reminds us of who we are. It reminds us that we are called to worship. And then comes that turn. This psalm also warns us in the most solemn way. The psalm says, as we come with our praise to God in worshiping him for who he is, let us never forget to listen to him. One might almost be tempted to say, here is the reformed dialogic principle of worship. We speak to God with our praise and our thanksgiving and our songs, and he speaks to us. And we must never be so carried away with our activity that we fail to listen. Today, today, which Hebrews 3 and 4 reminds us is every day of our sojourn as God's people, Today, hear his voice and don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. That's what is taken up particularly in Hebrews 3 and 4 as as an appeal to the church of Jesus Christ. Don't harden your heart. Don't close your ears. Don't presume on the mercies of God. Our God is a great God. Our God is a gracious God. Our God will not fail to save his elect. But there are those. There have been. There will be those in the covenant community that fail to listen, that harden their hearts, that prefer to go their ways rather than God's ways. And those solemn warnings of the New covenant must not be muted among us. When Christ walked amongst the lampstands in the book of the Revelation, there were solemn warnings there, weren't there? That lampstands can be removed. And one of the solemn duties of studying church history is to notice where lampstands have been removed. People who were apparently Christians, who were apparently in covenant with God, went astray. Hebrews 3 says we have to hold fast the confession of our faith. That we are still a wilderness people. We are not yet come to the land of promise. Southern California only appears to be the land of promise. But Hebrews 4 so pointedly says... There yet remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That that rest of a new world in which righteousness dwells. That, That rest of a renewed creation in which all serves the Lord in holiness is not yet. And it doesn't take a lot of imagination for us to recognize that. But this psalm and Revelation 3 and 4 solemnly remind us 
that we cannot presume on the grace of God, that we have to remain a carefully listening people to the word of God. And not to miss what the Lord is saying to us. The Lord promised Israel in the wilderness to provide for their needs. But at Massa and Meribah, they put the Lord to the test. It's a strange formulation in some ways. And what it seems to mean there in the context of Exodus 17, this people who had seen the deliverance of God, who had experienced the exodus from Egypt, who had walked through the Red Sea on dry ground and seen the army of Pharaoh drowned in the sea, that people said, is God really with us? Does God really care? Does God care whether we're faithful to him or not? Is God going to provide for us? Or are we really kind of on our own here? Need to do the best we can do according to our own wisdom. Will God act? And of course, each of those questions really is asked in the spirit of expecting a negative answer. No, God doesn't know. No, God doesn't care. No, God won't act. And therefore, I'll follow my own heart and my own ways. And Psalm 95 pleads with the people of God, as Hebrews 3 and 4 pleads with the people of God, don't think that way. Don't be that way. Listen to the word of God. And believe the word of God. And follow the word of God. That's the only way to avoid the really quite terrible curse here. I loathed that people for 40 years, said the Lord. And I declared in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. That should be the most chilling word imaginable to us as the people of God. Spoken not to the world of unbelief, spoken not to the world of idolaters, but spoken to those who had seen the great redeeming work of God and hardened their hearts against it. And how can we avoid the hardening of hearts? This scripture says we have to listen. That's why it's important that you're here at a seminary to study God's word. Because it's the word that keeps the message of God before his people. It's it's the word that keeps holding up again the great redemptive work of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3 begins by saying, Christ was faithful over the household of God and then appeals to us in him to be faithful, not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom, but as the covenant people of God who have been redeemed, who have seen the work of the Lord, who have heard the word of the Lord and have believed and followed him. So we are called by this psalm to bring together all the pieces of biblical revelation, all the pieces of theology that we have learned, and to keep them in a balance that reminds us we haven't yet entered that eternal rest that is promised us, that we are still a pilgrim people, a wilderness people, a people who need to keep their eyes and their ears focused on the place to which we are going. And the Christ who will lead us as the good shepherd there 
and to continue to hear his voice, to continue to listen for his voice. For those of you called to the ministry to be his voice in this needy world and to encourage us as the people of God to to worship him in spirit and in truth. So we need to remember to listen, to believe, to obey, to worship, and to know that in Jesus Christ there is a great day of rest coming. Let us pray together. O Lord, our God, we are thankful that you call us to joy, to reverence, but also to care, to carefulness, so that we might never be a presumptuous people, but we might be a people always eager to listen to your word, always eager to hear of Christ, the rock of our salvation, and always seeking from him and in him to be a people following your word, faithful to you, rejoicing in you. And so may it never be, any, O Lord, that any of us would fail to receive that eternal rest, but that today, by faith, we might always look to Christ and trust in him. Hear us then, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2010, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.